Hello there. Welcome to John Talking Jesus and a Jetta with Java. Now I have to, I have a confession to make. I'm not, I don't have Java today, I have water. It's 12.22 in the afternoon. We don't really need any Java right now. So uh, we're taking a ride and drinking water and today we're going to talk about the Lord's Prayer. It's in a little section from Luke. And uh, we're going to walk through it line by line. And then we're going to take note of the end of it. So the Lord's Prayer takes about two and a half verses in Luke. And then there's about nine verses of Jesus illuminating a particularly important point about the Lord's Prayer. So that's what we're going to do. But first, I just want to tell you a story about the Lord's Prayer that happened to me. <laughs> because it will show you what a goofball I am. So, uh, back when I was at the seminary, we used to have different kids in each week, and we'd have a chapel for them. And one seminarian would uh, do a little chapel talk, and, the other, and another seminarian would do the music. Uh, in this particular day, I had volunteered to do the music. So I show up, and the person doing the talk, the chapel talk, hasn't arrived yet, but it's time to start. So, we start. And I do a couple songs, and I'm looking around, and there's no person to do a chapel talk. So I stall, and you know, let's do one more song. And I do another song, and Mr. Chapel Talk still hasn't shown up, so clearly, Mr. Chapel Talk is not showing up. So I improvise a chapel talk, and I remember quite clearly that it went very well. And I thought, ooh, that was really good. That wouldn't have been any better if I would planned it. And uh, so I'm like all, you know, hyped up and it was going great. And, and then I say, well, and let's close with the Lord's Prayer. And I fold my hands and I bow my head. And I cannot, for the life of me, remember how the Lord's Prayer goes. <laughs> and I'm so I've got my head bowed and I'm like, waiting and waiting, hoping somebody will start the Lord's Prayer for me. Uh, and after probably 20 uncomfortable seconds, uh, they started, the kids started the Lord's Prayer. Most of them already knew it. That's part of the reason why I was going to pray it, because I figured, well, these kids are a church, they go to a church school. That's what they, why they're at the seminary for a tour or whatever they were doing there. So, um, Anyway, that's my story. Forget the words Lord's Prayer. I, I really get a brain freeze every once in a while. One time I was introducing a girl I was dating to some friends, and I forgot her name. It's not like I actually forgot her name, but I couldn't pull her name out of my head. I'm like, this is my girlfriend, and then <laughs> I just could not remember. So uh, that's, that's kind of one of the things that happens to me. So, hey, let's do the Lord's Prayer, huh? So the first thing is, it's, so it's in Luke, and one of the great things is that Jesus, the, the disciples say to Jesus, one of the disciples says, Lord, would you teach us to pray like John taught his disciples to pray? And in a very uncharacteristic fashion, Jesus gives a straight answer. He says, okay, when you pray, say, and then he gives us the Lord's Prayer. Normally, if you ask Jesus a question, one of two things is probably going to happen. 
he's probably going to tell you a story. Or he's going to say, well, how about I ask you a question? And if you answer that question, then I'll answer your question. Which, by the way, that was more like for people who were trying to trap him. And the whole question game thing was kind of a uh, thing that teachers did with each other. So it's not that unusual that he would say, I'll ask you a question, and if you can answer it, then I'll answer your question. So the disciples asked Jesus, Hey, could you teach us to pray like John taught his disciples to pray? And Jesus says, Sure, which is awesome. So he says, and uh, by the way, the Lord's Prayer is found in the Gospel of Luke and the Gospel of Matthew. And the one in Luke is shorter than the one in Matthew. So, uh... If I skip parts of what you, in your tradition, might know as the Lord's Prayer, just know that uh, that might be the Matthew version, and we're talking about the Luke version today. But I'll try and remember the little parts that, uh, let's see here, I'm, <laughs> I'm following directions uh, on my Google Maps while I'm driving and talking to you all. So here we go. Okay. The version in Luke begins like this. Jesus said, pray like this. And then he said, Father. And in Matthew, we get our Father who art in heaven. In Luke, it's just Father. But the who art in heaven, that's kind of like a parenthetical explanation, like just in case you don't know which Father we're actually talking about, right? So Father's the big deal here. And we're going to come back to this at the end because it's going to turn out that there's bookends on this little section and one is beginning your prayer with father and then Jesus is going to go off more on the idea of father and what that means but Jesus encouraged us to think about God as our father in fact when Jesus prayed sometimes he used the Aramaic word Abba which means dad or even daddy and I have um I have kids. None of them are terribly young anymore. I got a 21, a 17, and 11-year-old. And uh, sometimes uh, they call me, they almost never call me father. Uh, they call me dad usually, and sometimes, I, and I, don't, I haven't figured out what it is, but it sure feels good when they do it. They'll even say, daddy? And I'm like, oh yeah, oh that's, oh yeah, that's cool. And, and so, um, Jesus encourages us to think of God that way and to talk about God that way and to talk to God that way as a father. I mean, can you imagine uh, my child coming up to ask me something and, and doing the kind of things that sometimes we feel tempted to do when we pray? You know, my father, my child coming up, he wants to go to the park and he says, almost oh, gracious father, provider of my home and all that my food and all that I need to live, the one who has given me life and breath, I beseech thee that in thy mercy thou might takest me to the park to play. No, that's not what's going to go on with father, right? So Jesus is, is and he, again, we're going to come back to this, Jesus is telling us a core truth about who God is and how God views God's relationship to us. And he wants us to pray, Father, 
Father. All right, Father, hallowed be thy name. That's the next piece. So uh, hallowed is the, is the verb form of holy, right? And holy means like special, set apart. And basically what this means is that um, may I always remember that you are special in my life. Like, I, again, my relationship with my kids is a special relationship. I mean, I, I love all kids. Uh, I love all people, at least I try to and want to. Um, but it's not the same. There's a, a, a set-apartness with my kids. Uh, and so that's part of this hallowed be thy name. May, may I always remember that my relationship with you, Father, is a special one. And then the other part of it is uh, has to do with uh, may I live in a way that uh, shows that I'm following you and that you are special to me. Uh, let me go back one more thing on the name thing. Uh, names back in this day were uh, really in some ways your identity. People changed their names or other people would change somebody's name. Jesus changed the apostle, his apostle Simon's name to Peter, because Peter means rock. And um, Jesus had asked Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, I say you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, now you're Peter, because on that rock that Jesus is the Christ, he's going to build everything. Uh, so he changed Peter's name. There's another time, this woman named Ruth, uh, there was a famine. She moved to a foreign land with her husband and two sons. Uh, her sons got married in the foreign land, and then her husband and then her two sons died. And so she ended up moving back home. The famine was over also. And when she got there, I was like, hey, Ruth's here. Awesome. And she's like, don't call me Ruth anymore. Call me Mara because my life is bitter. And Mara in Hebrew means bitter. So she's like, no, I got a new name because my life has been very painful and difficult. So, Father, that's Father in Heaven, that's the name, uh, that's the person. Hallowed be your name. May I, oh, the next part would be, uh, may I live so that I don't bring shame on the name of the person I claim as my Lord, right? And this we have to be very careful of because humans, so easy for us to go legalistic on this. So easy to go, oh, I did a wrong thing. I have brought shame on Jesus. And I would tell you the answer is that is not true. Now, of course, you, it, there's no, uh, we don't, we don't, <laughs> we don't live to do things that cause pain for other people or that are wrong. But the core of not bringing on shame on Jesus does not have to do with whether you do anything wrong or not. That, that's like, that's a foregone conclusion. Of course you're a sinner. Everybody's a sinner. So what? The way you really, if you want to shame the name of Jesus, go around and in Jesus' name be judgmental on other people. The way to shame Jesus' name is to put shame on other people is to judge other people, is to look down on other people, is to make other people feel like a rat's behind. That's how you shame the name of Jesus. 
And so when we say, hallowed be thy name, part of what we're asking is for Jesus to lead us and help us to treat other people with love. All right, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Matthew adds that more, an extra parenthetical thing so we know what that looks like. Uh, your kingdom come. And then Matthew adds, your will be done on earth like it is in heaven. So that's the, uh, that helps us understand what Jesus is getting at. Uh, your kingdom come. A kingdom is wherever things are done the way the king wants them to be done. That's the kingdom. And Jesus actually said the kingdom of God is within us. And that could be in each of us. It could also be it among us among the way his followers treat each other. But either way, what the kingdom of God, thy kingdom come, means is that you want things to be done God's way. And God's way is the way of not, not, uh, not avoiding calling evil evil, but letting mercy and love triumph. And so when we pray God's kingdom come, we're praying that in our own heart and life, mercy and love would be the driving force because that's doing things God's way. That's on earth like it is in heaven. And we're praying that that could even be in our community around us as well. And that we want to be part of that. We want to not only, um, not only live that life of mercy and love, but we want to be part of spreading that to a wider and wider number of people and being part of their growth and redemption. One of the one of the apostles, when he was writing a later book in the New Testament, said the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And I think righteousness, peace, and joy are basically what everybody is really looking for. So righteousness is that idea that everything is right with the world. It's like everything's engaged, it's where it needs to be, Everything's in harmony and balance. And of course, as Christians, we believe that comes through Christ. Um, righteousness and then peace. Peace is what everybody wants, man. Peace in their spirits, that tranquility of spirit. Uh, and then joy. Joy is engagement, active engagement in life. C.S. Lewis uh, talked about joy as uh, like a kid playing in the mud. Joy is where you are lost in the moment. So if you could be like so engaged in life that you're like lost in the moment, the grass is beautiful, what an interesting feeling that I'm driving along and I can feel the rumble of the uh, tires on the road and the sky looks beautiful. And what an interesting arch the wires make when they, when they droop, they drape from pole to pole, that the whole earth is so fascinating and interesting. So thy kingdom come, righteousness, peace, and joy. Uh, uh, people relating to each other, you relating to each other, to, to the people around you with love and mercy, and of course, to yourself with love and mercy too. Oh, where are we? Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. Uh, lead us not into temptation uh, because we can find it ourselves. We don't have any problem with that one. No, that's not what it means. It, it, it means that we recognize that uh, we, uh, the Bible, the Bible uh, sees three different sources of uh, temptation to evil in our lives. One is the devil, um, 
you know, spiritual forces around us uh, that want to drag us down. One is the world. Uh, the other people temp, uh, cause temptation and stuff, but really it's inside of us because nobody's tempted by things that they're not tempted by. Nobody's tempted by things they don't like, right? I mean, um, most people might be tempted, uh, you know, if they uh, could do something just sort of mildly evil, like shoplift a Snickers bar and someone else would give them $100,000. Well, you know, that tells you that's something you want, right? So uh, the, the uh, scriptures talk about the devil, the world, and our own sinful nature, but it really comes down to our own sinful nature because otherwise we wouldn't be uh, tempted by it. Anywho, so uh, lead us not into temptation is that recognition that we need uh, that... Well, AA talks about being powerless, right? That's part one of the steps is that this thing has power over me. And so we all kind of recognize that our our uh, impulses towards self-centeredness and things like that, they have power over us. And we would like to be delivered from that. And then Matthew adds, but deliver us from evil. Uh, and then, uh, let's see. Well, did I get, I think I might have got them out of order. Let's see. Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The kingdom come, thy will be done. Lord, in heaven, give us this day our daily bread. See, I forgot one. Uh, give us today our daily bread. The key that bread stands for everything you need to live. But the key there really is daily. And one of the things that's a part of my own uh, spiritual observations is that, well, I, I believe that Jesus is the pinnacle revelation of the God who created the universe. I think that people of, of goodwill who are uh, trying to examine life are going to, and, and truth, are going to come to different pieces of the whole truth. And the Bible supports this because it says, you know, people are without excuse that, that you can observe and come to knowledge of, you know, in some ways who God is just by thinking and meditating and looking at the world. And so one of the things that spiritual teachers of all stripes have come, have uh, uh, the knowledge they've come to is that We only have today, and one of the components of living a truly peaceful life is living in today. That doesn't mean you don't make plans for tomorrow. Jesus made plans. Uh, he sent out 72 people in pairs ahead of him to you know, prepare the way as he had a plan to visit different villages on his way to Jerusalem, but it means you hold those loosely and, and the, the place you really live is today. Uh, the great spiritual master Ugwe from Kung Fu Panda said it like this, yesterday is history, tomorrow is a mystery, but today is a gift. That's why we call it the present. So when we say daily is really the key there in that phrase give us our daily bread because our minds are great time travelers uh, you know you can be sitting listening to this right now and you get a little distracted either by something in the past that you regret or whatever and your mind will go back there see it can travel into the past or you'll be distracted by something you're worried about in the future see your mind is a time travel it goes in the past and it goes in the future 
or something else that's going on right now that you're worried about. Maybe the the crisis on the border of the you know that uh, influx of immigrants uh, seeking asylum and how to handle that. Uh, so there's all your mind travels all over the place, and it's a privilege of humanity to be able to do that. But the core presence of your consciousness, if you're going to be able to live in peace, is going to be today. And I'll tell you, for me, I, I began meditating, I don't know, two or three years ago now. And one of my main meditations uh, is just that uh, centering meditation where I uh, spend time trying to be perfectly and utterly present in the moment. And whenever other thoughts occur to me, I let them float by. And so that is, uh, the, I would encourage you to concentrate on that daily part. Then the last part before the end is uh, forgive us our trespasses or sins as we forgive those who trespass or sin against us. And uh, this sounds like, sounds like God says, if you forgive people, I'll forgive you. As though we are the ones who initiate that exchange. But Jesus told a story to help us understand what, uh, what's really going on there. And the, the story is about, there was a rich ruler uh, and one of his servants owed him like a hundred million dollars. Just, it was an unpayable amount of money. And uh, he called him in to settle up his debt. And of course, in this time, he, he and his family would all be sold into slavery to at least recoup some of the money that was lost uh, in, in this bad debt. And so the man begins to beg, like beg like crazy. And he says the kind of things that people who know they're just totally hosed say. He's saying, just give me time, I'll pay everything back, I promise. Which is ridiculous, because it's an unpayable amount of money that he owes. And, uh, you know, kids do that. Like, you know, they forget to do a chore or whatever, and instead of getting, instead of having their Disney trip canceled, they'll say things like, I'll clean my room every day for a year or something, right? I mean, something they're just not going to do. So, um, that's what he does. And the, the, that rich king looks down at him and has compassion on him and uh, says, well, let's just, let's forget about it. You're not going to pay it back. And he drops the, drops the accounting sheet in the trash can. Wow, that's pretty cool. You, you would think that would affect people, right? So this guy goes out and he sees someone else who owes him a hundred bucks. And he chokes the guy, which is in this culture, a symbol of one person having power over another. And he chokes him and he says, pay me what you owe or I'll have you thrown in prison. And the servants uh, in this area who had seen what happened in the room with the rich ruler are distressed. And they go back and they tell the rich ruler, that guy you just forgave a hundred million dollars to, he was choking a guy over a hundred bucks. And you know what the ruler said? He said, bring him back in. And so the guy came back in and the ruler was like, what is up with you? I forgave you all that and you couldn't be merciful for a hundred bucks and he reached into the trash can and he pulled the sheet of accounts back out and said you're going to jail and you're not getting out until every last penny is paid so 
this is what is the picture that's really trying to be painted by Jesus is that the gulf between us, between us and God, is so much greater than any gulf that could ever be created by any wrong that anybody might do to us. That for us to walk around and withhold forgiveness for other people means that we don't really get it. We don't. We don't. We don't. Um, we don't understand just the level of God's mercy. To us and so when we say forgive us our sins our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us we're not saying that we have to start by forgiving sins and then God will respond by forgiving our sins we acknowledge that God has already wiped our slate clean in Jesus but when we really know or at least in a little bit of the depth of the redemption that God has given us and the forgiveness that God has given us it totally changes our heart and our mind and our life and we start to feel like we got no business holding anything against anybody else and so when we say forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us what we're saying is we we recognize that we know what's going on and we take the deal that's what's going on there so that's the Lord's Prayer now the last thing, so that's like two and a half verses, right? The last thing is what Jesus talks about after the Lord's Prayer. And it, it goes back to the fatherhood. And this is just so important. And maybe Jesus spends so much time on it because it's the way you approach God in prayer might just be even more important than what you actually pray about. Because, so he's, Jesus starts out and says, Hey, Father, which we're already like, that's a little uncomfortable for us. Daddy would be really uncomfortable. And then, but what Jesus is doing is reminding us of the character of the God to whom we are praying. After he gives us what we now call the Lord's Prayer, uh, Jesus says, Listen, what, what guy, if you're in bed at night, and your neighbor comes to the uh, your neighbor comes to your door and knocks on it and says, a, "A traveler just arrived, and I don't have any food for him. Can you give me a few loaves of bread?" The guy inside isn't gonna say, "Go away! I'm already in bed. Tough luck, Charlie." No, and it, it's not even so much that he loves his friend. It's just. The chutzpah of this guy knocking on his door at midnight, he's going to get up. He's going to say, fine, and he's going to get up and get him the bread. And then he said, or what father among you, if, if your uh, child asks for a loaf of bread, is going to give him a rock? Or if asked for some food, is going to give him a scorpion? And then he says, listen, if you guys, if you people as messed up as you are, know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more does your Heavenly Father want to give you the greatest gifts? And that's the thing that I would like to close this uh, episode of John Talking Jesus in a Jedi with Java with uh, for you today is maybe even more important than the Lord's Prayer itself. Now, granted, one more thing to point out, 
The Lord's Prayer is simple and clear. There's no flowery language. There's no, you know, oh, great myth father of all and blah, 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 blah. It's not, it's just like bam, 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 bam. But more important is that word father. That's, that's the, that is the keystone of the whole prayer, that word father, because that's what Jesus closes with. Listen, you really got to understand that God loves you like better than the best parent in the world loves and cares for his children. So you can ask for anything. I mean, you could ask for something horrible for you. You know, if my daughter asked me to go get her heroin, I'm going to say no, right? Even if she thinks it would be the best thing for her in the world. And so we can pray with great confidence because that's what Jesus spends more time than anything else assuring of, us of is our Heavenly Father's goodwill and intent toward us. So how maybe, maybe one of the most important pieces of prayer might be pausing for a moment to just center yourself on what you're thinking about, what you think about God when you pray. Is God like the cosmic cop that's looking for a chance to bust you? Is God like the cosmic judge who, uh, who, who's happy to send, to, you know, send people away to hell or something like that just because they did something wrong or whatever? Is, you know, is God an old man in the sky sitting in a, in a, in a rocking chair, kind of, you know, not really able to do anything? He's a good listener, but that's about it. Or is God our Heavenly Father, the Father of lights and giver of all good gifts? So when you pray, pause and orient your mind toward the goodwill and intent of the Father toward you. And then begin to pray. And I pray the Lord's Prayer. You might want to pray each phrase and then pause, meditate on it, think about it. But anyway, that's it. That's uh, John talking Jesus in a Jetta with Java. I do have a couple other things going on. If you care, want to know about them, uh, you can go to my website, johnrallison.com. I am uh, I'm going to run for U.S. Congress uh, for my uh, the ninth district in Florida. So we'll see how that goes. I start teaching uh, honors physics and AP calculus at a local charter school. So that's uh, that's interesting. I'm also picking up. Uh, I'm going to be a part-time pastor of a congregation in Rockledge, Florida, Trinity Lutheran Church in Rockledge. A uh, little church they can't currently can't afford uh, to hire a full-time pastor, so I'm just going to be preaching over there and uh, helping do some spiritual leadership over there with them. And that's where I'm at. I'm sure curious to hear from you. Uh, if you heard anything today that like piqued your interest, uh, something that was helpful, it's so always so gratifying to hear if I said something that actually helped somebody. And of course, I'm sure interested if you see things quite differently too, because that's how we all grow, right? The Bible says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. So maybe I need some sharpening from you, and I am open to that. Anyway, that's all I got for today. Thank you for going for a ride with me in my Jetta, even though I didn't have any Java. But, you know, water, I always call water God's drink. So uh, that's what we're doing today. Have a great one. Bye-bye.